Hello and welcome to episode 2. In this episode, we will discuss the criteria for the diagnosis of diabetes, which is a common testing area on the board exam. So I'm going to give you three scenarios, and only one of these scenarios will meet criteria for the diagnosis of diabetes. In the first scenario, we have an 18-year-old who checked their finger stick glucose three times, and the readings were 220, 200, and 230. In the second scenario, we have a 45-year-old male with a fasting venous glucose of 130 performed on a single comprehensive metabolic panel. And in the third scenario, we have an 80-year-old male with a random venous glucose of 230 and on history, he reports frequent urination and thirst. The answer here is that only in scenario 3 can we diagnose diabetes, and that is based on the ADA standards of care in 2023, which states that diabetes can be diagnosed based on two abnormal tests in asymptomatic individuals, such as a fasting plasma glucose equal or above 126 mg per deciliters, and fasting here should be 8 hours of no caloric intake or an A1C test that is equal or above 6.5% using certified methods standardized to the DCCT study assay, or an oral glucose tolerance test with a 2-hour glucose of 200 mg per deciliter or above. That is using 75 grams of glucose and making sure that the patient is not on a carb-restricted diet for the three days prior to the test. Now, if a patient has classic symptoms of hyperglycemia or a hyperglycemia crisis, then it is possible to diagnose diabetes using a single venous glucose that is above 200 milligrams per deciliter. So basically, in the scenarios listed above, there are a few tricks to look out for. The first is that diabetes cannot be reliably diagnosed on finger stick glucose, and venous glucose testing should always be utilized. Second is that two abnormal tests are required in asymptomatic individuals, whether on samples on the same day or on different days. So one test is not sufficient. For example, if you have an abnormal A1C, then you can do a repeat test, either a repeat A1C or fasting plasma glucose or oral glucose tolerance test as soon as possible to confirm the diagnosis. If the confirmatory test is normal, then you should repeat the same test that was abnormal to begin with. If the repeat test is abnormal, then you can diagnose diabetes, while if the repeat test was normal, then perhaps the first test that was ran was false positive, and it's recommended to repeat testing in three to six months. Now, in the last scenario, the patient was symptomatic, and he had a venous glucose above 200 mg per deciliter, so he can reliably be diagnosed with diabetes without any confirmatory testing. There are a few caveats to note in these scenarios. All the tests are not equal. For example, A1C and fasting plasma glucose tend to have more false negatives than the oral glucose tolerance test. 
but they were introduced into the criteria because they are more convenient tests to be done and they allow for increased screening for diabetes. For example, it's thought that the A1C test by itself will only diagnose 30% of actual diabetes cases compared to when all three tests were utilized together. The A1C test should also not be used in patients with hemoglobinopathies, HIV, patients on hemodialysis, patients with recent blood loss or recent transfusions, patients in late pregnancy. For example, patients with sickle cell trait have an A1C approximately 0.3% lower than the true value, and patients with G6PD deficiency will have A1C lower by approximately 0.7 to 0.8% than the true value. So in these patients, a fasting plasma glucose or an oral glucose tolerance test should be utilized. The reason that the A1C is lower in these individuals is that there is increased red blood cell turnover. So the red blood cells have a shorter lifespan in patients with blood loss, hemolytic anemias, splenomegaly, sickle cell, and an end-stage renal disease. Now, in patients with vitamin C and vitamin E deficiency, A1C can be reduced, but not because of reduced red blood cell lifespan, but rather because of inhibition of glycosylation of the protein in the red blood cells. Now, conditions that will falsely elevate the A1C will include conditions that will increase the lifespan of the red blood cells. And these include iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, and asplenia. There are also some conditions that will give a falsely elevated A1C because it interferes with the actual laboratory assay. And these things will include severe hyperbilirubinemia, severe hypertriglyceridemia, and uremia. Now, of course, red blood cell transfusions can either increase or decrease the A1C based on the actual blood that is being used. So if the transfused blood has a low hemoglobin A1C, then it will cause a dilutional effect in the individual. And if the blood has a high A1C content, then it will increase the individual's A1C. This is, again, an easy concept, but one that carries many tricks. So the exam question writers would love to test you to make sure that you actually know the details and the specifics of the diagnostic criteria and the pitfalls to using the A1C test and why they happen. And this concludes episode two. In the next episode, we will be discussing prediabetes and how to prevent progression to type 2 diabetes. Thank you for listening.